At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard here, the world messenger, and I cannot wait to invite you for this epic conversation on legacy leadership. Imagine starting your first business at 13 and being a multimillionaire or millionaire at least. I mean, not at least, but before you <laughs> become 21 and then multimillionaire before you ever hit probably 25 or 30. I mean, what amazing accomplishment from today's guest speaker that we're having here with me that I cannot wait to introduce you. That is joining me from Nevada. And also that is super accomplished, not only in his business today, but also phenomenal philanthropist, great mentor and advisor and strategist, and also someone who has a fantastic background and tenure of helping people specifically powerful women to rise up and be successful. So without further ado, we're going to pick more, but let's hear from this <laughs> young multimillionaire that has phenomenal story to share. Howard, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So Howard Morgan has so much to tell us. And with that in mind, Howard, just before we go into that 13 year old, which I'm sure everybody is itching to learn more. How in the world did you start the business so early and became a millionaire? Because so many people want to do that. What did you have to be before you had to do what you did? I think it's a great question because it's, it's one that you obviously reflect on over the years, right? When you're starting that early. I, you know, because I would tell you that, first of all, it, what's important is I came from a family very poor. Um, poor in money, rich in family. Um, my grandfather, I have visions of my grandfather, me riding in his, in his horse-drawn wagon, delivering milk. And I would help him. And you really kind of start to understand what's important in life, right? When you're with kind, loving people. So I had that gift. Uh, and when I, and as a result, uh, you know, sort of by the time I got to about 13, I was bullied a bit. So from that standpoint, you, you know, when you're bullied, you, you sort of start, I got focused very much on, so what's important. So at 13, had the, any of your uh, listeners that have been around a long time will, will, there was something called the Irish sweepstakes, which was a lottery. So I had a vision at 13 and started a company that really didn't produce any revenue, by the way, for 10 or sorry, for two to three years. And uh, to do something around lotteries within North America, because there were no lotteries. And then I sort of sat on it like a 13 year old would because I was at school doing things. And um, all of a sudden when that whole market pulled up, um, I got very good at a structuring it and having a strategy, but I think in a lot of ways, what made for my success was hard work and not forgetting the role of me versus the role of other talented people. So there was a time when in the company, 
the youngest person I had working in the company was twice as old as me. Wow. And that's fine. But, you know, it's another way where you sort of learn, both learn probably in fairness, but you learn that it's, it's not only founding a business, it's how you grow it. And more importantly, what's really important in that business. Wow. That is fantastic advice. And for 13, you already were astute and knew that. So fast forward, how did you become billionaire, sir? I mean, a millionaire, sir, early. I, did, I, I mean, I love that you're getting me even more money. That's not, um, well, part of it was that that I started sort of working really full-time when I was 16. So I went, because again, hard work was in my system, right? So, I mean, I, I worked a job, went to school full-time, um, and had sort of this job on the side, and uh, also, uh, ironically enough, started as a rock and roll disc jockey um, and became phenomenally talented at that. And it was funny, there were, there were two people that I produced the shows of that became very famous, and that helped, that, all these things help you get millionaires very quick. Uh, one was Judy LaMarche, which was a very talented politician in Canada, uh, you know, very difficult to deal with in some ways, but a lovely lady that in many ways had to be the way she was to be successful, because we're talking late 60s. The second person was Xavier Hollander, which may not ring any bells, but her, she has a very famous book, one of the best-selling books in the 60s, 70s called The Happy Hooker, um, and did her show, and she actually was another, fun, I think what's really helped me if I take a look back and say, why have, have I been able to find really good people? Because that's what it's all about. It's can you find great people to work with that'll make life easy? I kind of don't judge people. I judge people by what they do, not by who I think they are, by status. All that's really not important. It's yes. do they have a kind heart and they do they do good things? Mm. Such a beautiful value, a huge distinction for everybody watching and listening. Please tell us more. Yeah, I think, you know, for example, if I take the, the first company I formed, I mean, it's, it's um, last year, I think, build, you know, not a huge amount, but about 120 million for the year. Um, and by the way, I do nothing. I take no credit for that other than starting it and getting the right people because what's happened is they really run it now. And these are people that have as probably I would say almost more interest in that company than I do. Because I really don't, I mean, I don't have anything to do with day-to-day -day operations. What I do is go to a Christmas party and maybe their grandchildren's graduation, but that's, that's kind of it. But people need an opportunity to shine. They need somebody to believe in them. They need somebody who will support them. Um, somebody that will give them some some guidance without judgment. Yes, that is fantastic. And, and with that in mind, do you mind sharing a little bit more about how did you uh, obviously get there? Because it has to be the trust factor and it has to be opportunity to, you gave others to shine and, and groom them to follow and engage and perform because you know running in times of tremendous change, multi-million yep. dollar company and having this tremendous revenue doesn't happen by accident. 
Yeah, no, I don't think, I think, and I think you hit on a very important point. You're responsible to get it to the point where they have that moment of which you can transition, right? So there's a build, there's a help, there's a coach, there's a mentor process of, but it all depends on finding the right people too. And finding the right people, I look at right from my very beginning, including my corporate jobs, because I spent whatever it would be, uh, 30, no, 20 years in corporate life. And actually was yes. an executive, one of the youngest executives of a Canadian held uh, uh, public company. And part of it was always about, you know, it's going to sound odd, but sometimes it's about finding the person that people leave behind. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's doing things because you know, they're right. Let me give you a good example of that in a, in a, in a telephone company. Um, I'll leave the name out for a minute, but in a telephone company I worked with, um, I almost got fired for hiring a woman for a management job because she was pregnant. Wow. When was that? How long ago was that? Early seventies, early to mid seventies, somewhere, somewhere in that time frame. Because that was those days. Look, I have, I have a mother who, and this would be about 1947. My mother, the day she got married, which was on a Saturday night, she got married. On the night before her last day of work, her boss came in and said, well, we'd really love to thank you for all of your hard work. We planned a party for you. But now that you're getting married, you have to give up your job so single women have a place to work. You know, we've... Wow. So for me, it's about, always about, opportunity and progress it's not about finding the flaws we have a lot of i have flaws um i've done a lot of research on this and and we're well over now just about half a million people and the research is says compelling research says the best way to for you to really grow and be successful is for you to always be committed to self-improvement when you stop trying to get better you become arrogant same thing for a company, by the way. Uh, if you're a company, always remember, I, I always love the saying, the customer is not always right, but they're always the customer, right? It's, mm. it, it's that is, customer. That's an important distinction, and I love that. Do you mind repeating it again? Sure. If the customer isn't always right, but they're always the customer. So if now, if, if you get to the point that that's for whatever reason, awkward or totally unacceptable, then fire the customer. But what you don't want to do is give the customer a lecturette on why you're right and they need to adapt. Yes. That's not a model. Mm, so I think when I take a look at those companies that I have, why those people are so good is they'll, they'll do whatever they need to do within the values and everything else. We're not to make sure those they're as, as concerned about those customers being successful as they would be for themselves. Just an extension. Mm. You said also something very profound, if you don't mind sharing that. Uh, you said, if we want to be better, that would be perceived as arrogant. Do you mind expand a little bit more? What do you do to actually have that stellar environment and provide customer care yet not to be perceived arrogant? Sure. I, I think that we all know whether we call it trust or what we want to call it. It's important for us to feel comfortable and safe with someone. Yes. So someone that tells us they're really good and 
they take all the glory is not something that most of us are going to want to spend a lot of time around because so part of i always say there's a, a, a phraseology that i have that i love which is disclosure builds trust yes so the quickest way to get you you can't ask somebody to take all the risk until you take the risk to show the way and that's the disclosure part so when you talk about how to get those people part of it is the will, willing to say you don't know it's willing to say but you'll figure it out it's willing to say i made a mistake um and it's willing to believe in them and allowing them to make mistakes i would say courage is fascinating one of our colleagues as you know cb bowman is is probably one of the world's experts on on courage yes and a huge part of courage we always think about is 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 this person courageous enough to challenge people just a simple explanation, right? To me, the bigger one is, am I courageous enough to listen to another point of view and give it value? Mm. A lot more important. Such a huge, big distinction. Yes, yes. So with that in mind, being courageous and obviously doing the right thing and, and being obviously in the part of the Leadership Research Institute and foundation of not only leadership at that time in that era, but also fast forwarding and what's leadership today. Do you mind sharing how those things in, really involved and involved in the business aspect and, and what that attributes to your tremendous success today? Well, I think, I think first of all, it's, it's very hard for most of us, and there are exceptions. I mean, if we're Elon Musk, I could probably be successful in spite of anything, right? Um, but if I'm, if I'm going to be successful, I need to understand the importance of all the constituents around me. So, and, and by the way, let me just stop and hop back for a minute before I talk about those. One of the things I think that's important is for us to recognize, because sometimes we don't, we are all leaders. If I'm a stay at home mom, I'm a leader. Yes. If, so sometimes we, it's funny how many people don't get that. I, I mean, I think we underestimate because if I, if I treat leadership as influence mm -hmm. and the, to the degree to which I influence somebody, we're, we lead multiple times a day, no matter what we do. I think our problem sometimes is we don't recognize that leading has a responsibility. Yes. So it's, it's, it, I'll, I'll give you a simple example of that is in our research, the number one, number one thing that people want more from their bosses is one that no, it's going to surprise everybody in your, of your listeners, is they are clear and articulate on giving the appropriate amount of instruction on new assignments. So now I'm not talking about orientation for a new person. I'm talking about somebody that before you give this to me, tell me what's important, right? Tell me what are the steps you want me to follow. If you don't, then leave me alone. But what happens is, a lot of us in, in leadership kind of scenarios hand the work to somebody and then we come back and critique it. That generally doesn't have people feel very good. Yes. And where I learned that was my corporate life. I, I have an instant solution for your, for your audience on how to fix it. Because I was guilty too. So, Please. <laughs> yeah, so I was guilty of it until I said, I will try to give you clear instruction. If I don't and I need something redone, I will take ownership for redoing it. So I'm the one that spent the weekend redoing the deck, or I'm the one that spent redoing the financials. 
you do that about two weekends and you get real good at getting clear on instructions. Mm. Because it's all, again, I think one of the things you have to look at is when it comes to people, respect is about not only how you treat them, it's how they feel. That is so very true. And a lot of people take away the emotions and of charge and feelings. Uh, and, and that's why we're having more conflicts and more unspoken, you know, uh, withdrawal and uh, all these different types of behaviors that are counterproductive and not helping ultimately anyone, right? Yeah, and we've become a global world, right? So now I not only have to do that with my fellow white men, I have to include women, I have to include countries, race, and by the way, why is what isn't that fantastic? Or do I look at it as some form of obstacle? I've I've deal with, with uh, you know, you and I've talked about this. I have to deal with some political scenarios that cause challenges. I my goal is not about using that as a way of getting out of something, but a way of leaning into something. Like, how do I help someone that is probably not as lucky as me? Right now. I can't control whether they take the help. But you know what that what I've gotten pretty good in my old age, I spend time with people that welcome the help. If somebody doesn't want the help, I'm a-okay at saying, I'm out, that's fine. Brilliant. That's yeah. And speaking of that, so obviously you have to change your, not only leadership style and leadership methodology, but also your, we're so people-centric and recognizing how things evolved, how much more diversity, how much more inclusion, but also to create a sense of belonging, which that's exactly what you did. Um, you also are a huge supporter and proponent of women leaders and women in leadership top roles. And I've seen that firsthand. I love the way you mentor, the way you also share your words of wisdom and experiences. Um, so please, could you share a little bit for everybody watching and listening? Um, what, what, what did you discover through that process of helping women for decades? How did it impact your business? But also, how do you see the world as a result of, of the, those opportunities being presented and given? Yeah, I think... I mean, first of all, why I did it is why wouldn't I? Because it's a group. I'll give you, I'll give you my first example of helping women where everybody thought I was crazy. So I'm back to the telephone company again, just to because I've had many jobs. I'm back in the telephone company. One of the problems we had is it was kind of much like we're going through now, a staff shortage. Couldn't get highly qualified people. And I said to the organization, I think I know what to do. I want to go out and ask women that have left to raise family and have children, if they would be willing, if any of them are willing because their children are going off to school or they have time to do anything from two hours to seven hours a day, because it could be done by phone. So it did not be in person. And they thought I was crazy. They said, well, why would you do that? I said, because these are people that we, it's a win-win. They need, we all need some, thing to feel proud of, right? We, we all need something to feel successful because of. So for them, it gave them, it gave them value beyond being a phenomenal mother. It gave them that value and at the same time gave the company somebody that was already trained, could make it work. So I think sometimes, but what we have to do, especially we men, so this is a this is from the men comment. We have to recognize we don't think the same. So rather than saying it must be them, 
we say, okay, fine. I've always seen that as an asset, right? Because if, if, if I didn't have some really phenomenally talented women around me, I would have been a lot less successful. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the few people you meet in life that took somebody that was a temporary assistant called secretary in my day, but assistant and promoted <laughs> her three levels within my organization to be a manager. Wow. People thought I was crazy. Everybody. And again, I had somebody say to me, if this doesn't work, you're probably fired. Fine. Cause I think that's the other thing. If you, if you re really believe something's right, push yourself to the limits of risk that you're willing to risk. Like I'm not, I'm not saying if you've got a family, you should do something like me and say, great, I'm happy to be fired of it. But find out, don't, don't assume because you may not succeed, you should do nothing. On most things that are challenges in our world, there's a continuum that long. Yes. Go this far. <laughs> yes. That's better than doing nothing. And by the way, people appreciate it. But we, we, you know, with a lot of our social issues now, our challenges, we're drawing generalizations again, rather than, so what can, how do we embrace it and move it forward rather than treat the symptoms as why it can't be fixed? I love how you are moving the needle. And even if it's uh, smaller increments or, or major dramatic, drastic types of uh, changes, but you're definitely, again, calculating that risk and making it still happen because obviously all the greater good and all the things that we're now benefiting from were because of those risk taking, right? Um, we also see some things that we're not necessarily super happy, but, but we're recognizing how things evolve. And then again, if we're not communicating, if we're not sharing what works and what doesn't work for us, then we really are not doing leading, aren't we? No, I think, and I think that's a great point. I mean, how can I ask somebody to take risk if I don't do it myself? In other words, you do it, I'm right behind you. It's not a great leadership technique, right? Yes. Um, it's, it's I've, I've got to demonstrate what I expect other people to do. I've always believed that. I think, and again, do I screw up? Absolutely. But, but what I want to do is at least show I'm willing to, I'm willing to respect them and respect what they do to try to make their, their family and everybody else in their lives more valuable. That is very, very powerful. And when you were mentioning also obviously creating space and taking risk, how that played out with that woman that you promoted at that time and took a, you know, steps towards something that was never done before. Well, it was funny because initially, of course, I'm being told I'll be fired if it doesn't work. About a year later, everybody wanted to take credit for it. It was it's typ uh, typical, right? Typical yeah. organization where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, like yeah, she was good. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's and it's the one thing whether that we have to change because in many ways, that's what a lot of the time women get very frustrated by is is it was her effort that made it work. I had, I had nothing, I spotted talent. I'm a nothing but a talent spotter. She did the work. Mm -hmm. So if others said that, fantastic, give her the credit. She's the one that had to fight against the headwind, mm -hmm. right? I just provided her, I mean, heaven knows, plenty of mentoring and coaching, but she also made plenty of sacrifices from the standpoint of letting other people win a few 
because she probably actually was better than people thought she was. So she got very good at win what's give and take. Wow. That is great, great wisdom. And do you mind sharing a little bit more? Because we're seeing the world is put on. We're quick to take your credit, very little to take our responsibility, accountability, specifically if something doesn't go well and that we're responsible for, right? Uh, but then give and take, that is something that is, I wouldn't say old school, but it's such amazing yeah. foundation and pillars that I feel like it's almost completely gone. And when more and more we're zooming in, either we're talking about Fortune 500 or whatever we're talking about, we're seeing some really interesting dynamics. Do you mind remind people what that looks like and why is this so crucial? Well, keep in mind that I spent, it's funny, I spent 10 years uh, dealing with very hardcore like Teamsters, et cetera, unions, really hardcore. Um, when I got to the beer industry, I was brought there to, to fundamentally find a solution to the fact they had on average every month, one work stoppage for 50 years. Uh -huh. right? I think give and take is about a number of things. I think one give and take is about, you have to make sure people are heard. That's step one. Everybody, everybody wants to be heard. Doesn't mean you got to agree with them, but you got to make sure they're heard. Yes. Second, second thing is you've got to respect them, right? So it has always amazed me in, in, uh, in labor scenarios, what's always been funny for me is that everybody digs in their positions and doesn't really sort of do any form of implication that they're being respective of each other. So as, as probably one of the few people you'll ever meet that was an arbitrator uh, so for people that may not know, that's somebody that arrives at a decision between the two parties. Um, as somebody who was an arbitrator for union and their office unions. Now, can you imagine a management person, actually the union hiring to solve their problems? But part of it is because, again, it's the give and take means, you know, we live in a world there's no such thing as you can't win. You can win, but next time you're going to pay. Anybody that's in a relationship knows that. You, you know, you, you can't win all the time. It's not, it's not healthy. So part of it becomes what's, what's important, especially with like children. I mean, what's important and you really have to take a stand on and what are other things you just let go? Cause everybody has to, everybody has to win once in a while. Yes. And that's what give and take, give and take to me isn't, isn't about, cause I think there's other things where people give and take, I wouldn't give and take on. So for example, um, and especially within within organizations, right? You yes. Should, you should never have to to give on something that you really feel strongly about. You should find a solution that finds a compromise. That is amazing compromise, and that is such a simple yet very very important word right now because we're seeing all time tempers, uh, heated discussions, conflicts. Right. We're seeing more conflicts, fortunately, than, than right. less. We're right. seeing people uh, going and trying to 
recover from the last few years, not only economically, with health-wise, with all of those crazy dynamics. And yet, uh, we're also seeing still, unfortunately, law tolerance and not willingness to look at different side and hear their different opinion or, or hear what really all entails. And when we ask question, which, which comes the power of asking questions, yep. how much do we really then uncover and how much then our attitude and approach and everything around it changes, right? Right. That's right. Absolutely. It's, if you think about it, how we behave creates the environment by which people get close or repels. So I control a lot of that, right? In any interaction, I'll control that. And if I manipulate it, people are, the other thing we don't understand is people are really good at knowing what's true and what's not. They're really good at that. Yes. Mm. But having said that, I also a firm believer that when good things happen, they want their name to be in the headline, not somebody else. That is so very true. And, and then it's like, but where's your effort? Where's your participation? Where's your support? Right, right. Just because of association or, or you know, you don't get the free ride. And that's what I'm sadly seeing. A lot of people want instant gratification. They wanted that free ride. They don't want to necessarily put the work and effort. When it's something to be celebrated, everybody wants to be included. So right. how do you deal with challenges of people like that? Uh, how did you handle some of that in your practice, obviously, that is tremendously successful and continue to um, run without your presence, which just tells how amazing leader you are and how much you're capable to make, make a difference? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of it is recognizing it's not all you. I mean, you start, that's the first point you start with, right? It's not all me. I can't survive in this world without other people. Unless I go, unless I'm the type of person to go on an island and have self-sufficiency and be a loner. Most people, we're a social being, right? We're a, as humans, we're a social being. So part of that becomes, and don't look for excuses and and be a martyr because things don't go your way. So I'll give you a conversation of a conversation of, that I had uh, last week. Uh, so a client who's a really talented, phenomenal woman was talking to me saying, you know, it's not, re it's not right. They just had a new job um, above me and I was one of the candidates and, you know, a man got it. Mm -hmm. And I said, so I asked my favorite, what do you think the person's very good? No, I don't think they're good at all. And I said, were there better men? And she said, yeah, actually, there probably were. And I said, now you've identified something that's important, which is it's not a gender issue. It's a bunch of idiots selecting somebody you like rather than the most talented person. And sometimes you have to, I mean, in the end, one of the most difficult things to do for a leader is picking someone to report for you that's different than you. It's going to be like riding a wild bronco. Now, <laughs> that just means we come to an understanding of when is no, no, when is yes, yes, and, and find a way to make it work, right? So it's, it's the effort you put in to make something work, not the victim mindset of why it never can. I believe anything can be better. Mm. Doesn't mean it's easy, but I think anything could be better. And my goal 
for me and organizations that I'm responsible for is to say, I have to set a, a behavior, a set of behaviors and a philosophy that has people believe that I truly want that and I want their best interest. That's my job. Beyond that, I reap the benefits, right? But that's my job. That is such a powerful distinction and opportunity also for all of us to be that uncomfortably comfortable and, and testing out and let it happen, let it unfold. Right. And also learn from it, grow, because if we can stop continuing growing and continuing to stay in that comfort zone, which I'm sadly seeing way too many people do that, just because you have this certain achievement and layer of, of status or title doesn't mean that is everything you absolutely know that it's there. You have to right. continue involving. And right. that's going to help you tremendously with all those teams dynamics. So with that in mind, I'm just curious also because you expanded that. And when you mentioned earlier how in diverse environments you put yourself beyond obviously work in the United States, but yeah. also tremendous philanthropic giving and work that you are doing in Africa and other continents. Do you mind sharing how that came about and how did you then not only able to succeed and thrive in corporate America and create such a successful business over decades, over and over, and that consistency. But then you also do you transfer that where is the needed the most. So please um, share a little bit more insights on that. Well, I'll tell you what the origins of it came from. It's kind of interesting. Because in one of my corporate jobs, I was responsible for philanthropy, blah, 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 giving. <laughs> Sometimes that word just doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, Forgiving. And one of the things I discovered, which was fascinating, is a lot of people asking for money just mm. thought you should give it. Mm. And you'd give the money and you got not an ounce of loyalty out of it. So what I'm not saying uh. that's I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying what it taught me is I'm not saying that I've not given money. But what I can give people to help them be more successful is far important, more important to me than me giving them money by which they may waste that money because they can't sort of organize and execute. So a lot of the things I've done in Africa, for example, is around where people have gone in and really tried to be generous, and I appreciate it, by giving money. But the percent, now this is where it becomes important to listen to the other people, what they're telling you. So don't because they will, people in need will have a tendency to adapt to whatever they think you want to hear. So what I did is, and really spent some time with them and spent time with people they served and went up in the mountains and talked to people that, and what became really clear was they appreciated the money. That wasn't what they needed. What they needed is what do we do now that we've got the money? Right? How, do we keep, how do we organize ourselves? How do we find the type of projects that will give us the self-respect to now lead better lives for ourselves and our family? Because of, in many cases of the world, or many parts of the world, family loyalty is significantly better than what we have. 
Wow, that is such a huge distinction. I've been in nonprofit world as well, and, and I can agree with you. And, and you're right, family values change so much depending on which continent we're zooming in or culture, right? Yeah. But also what the loyalty means today, not only through, as a customer, but also as a colleague, as a business owner, as a partner, and, and everything else. And, and you're right, it's a less of that. Uh, because usually what they say, what's something it's freely given, all people tend to not to give a much value or something that is completely free, right? Uh, they don't they don't appreciate as much. Would, would you right. just say still the truth? Pardon me? Would you st- still say that that is the truth? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we we need to recognize at our core our main responsibility is to our family, right? It's it's. I mean, I put a great deal of value on uh, families that try to raise good children, responsible children. And there's, there's sacrifices they make. Those parallel what may have to happen in a company, right? So, it, it, but, what, but what's important is, again, how flexible, so a little bit back to the, the person that was pregnant when I hired her. I believe, and she did, she'll find a way to make this work while she's off. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Who am I to start? If she can come to me with, you know, because I asked her that we had a much more honest, candid conversation than anybody else would have about, okay, look, obviously you're pregnant, still want to hire you. Tell me how you think you can manage this process. What if you were me, what would you want to put in place? Because I want to hire you. She came up with brilliant solutions. Right. Wow. So I think we, again, People aren't going to give you solutions, A, until you ask, B, until you listen, and C, until you really value what they're telling you, even if if you don't agree with it 100% of it. That is so powerful. You nailed it. However, I just because of I'm seeing the pattern and this is so fresh in my mind and you've spot on. Uh, we have to be open. We have to be willing to not only ask, but to really hear and then do something actionable about it. So many times I hear people saying, Isabella, we, they did a survey that they did inquisit about this and that, but then ultimately we don't see any change and we stop talking and we stop sharing how we truly genuinely feel because we are not being heard already many, many times before. And when you get to that stage, it's like people are shutting down. They are not anymore having that trust and not anymore desire, drive, or willingness, right? right. And, and then when it's at that stage, often it's very much so too late, right? Then you have those fragmentations with the team and, and everything else, let alone, you know, dynamics that you really depend because your success also depend on them, right? Right. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, it depends on, you can't be somebody who makes yourself a prisoner and then blame somebody else. Mm. It's what have you done to try, or, or how about my favorite, which is, well, we tried that about 10 years ago and it didn't work. So there are things I did before my time. I, I'm, I'm the person who recommended the company that we go into the water, the bottled water business in the mid eighties. People thought I was crazy. Got through my whole idea got thrown out. Well, I look back now and I go, first of all, I was right. The the second thing though was part of my responsibility is obviously didn't explain it very well. 
because it did turn out to be good. So, you know, sometimes if you see something, your goal is to make sure people understand it. So if we, again, back to, we've done some research that says in cases where people challenge you, about 75% of the time, it's not because they just disagree with what you're saying, they don't understand it. We wow. as the interpreter, what we do is say what? They're challenging my answer. No, they don't understand your answer. How about take a minute and say, first of all, do you understand it? Tell me what you have heard me say. And when it's not right, you say, okay, let me repeat it. Cause obviously I did a, not a very good job explaining it. Who hurt, who's harmed in that? That is excellent question. And yes, I think it's a, also both sides, right? Because a lot of times Absolutely. we want to appear that we got it because we don't want to be embarrassed or ask follow-up questions because traditionally we're raised that asking questions just shows how stupid you are and how little you know, and it's expected from you to know versus also, uh, you know, everybody's following me because I was so clear and concise and everybody knows what I meant with that. I'm like, really so when you look at these two polar polar opposite opinions where is that middle ground it's like a huge west distance isn't it well so. you raise it you raise a phenomenally great point which is think back to that first few days of school right you remember we were in grade one and yes. the person asked a question everybody's hands went up right yes by the end of the first or second week we had answered something with an answer that probably wasn't not either. Well, let's put it away. It wasn't the optimum answer. And we all, everybody laughed. So what did we learn? Do not put your hand up until you are a hundred percent correct. So what happened is Mary Lou, who was brilliant and knew all the answers, would stick her hand up every time the teacher would go put your hand down. So we learn, we learn, we, that's how we learn about everything in life is if we have something and we are feel criticized or disrespected, we won't do it again. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do to your point is we have to say, how do I bring that? How do I make it so that people start doing that again? Right? I'm a believer that, and I know this is naive, so I apologize up front. For most social issues in the world, having an honest conversation of which people don't pick you apart is probably the first step. I was I agree 100%. And then also in the same time, because everybody wants to be accepted as who they are. Right, right. Everybody wants to be heard. And they wanted to be, you know, uh, able to be part of it, right? Nobody wants to be an island. And yeah. we create as a result based on all of those behaviors and conflicts and all these assumptions, uh, so much of that fragmentation. I had a, I had a, what became a friend? Probably the most feared, violent, um, difficult person you'd ever meet. I was four, no, 13. I was 13. He was 18. His name was Stacy. He had failed five times in school and was an absolutely great guy with a hair trigger. So in other words, he would blow up. But underneath it all, he was a good guy. But what he really hated is everybody, the way everybody looked and talked about him. So right. his defense mechanism was to get violent. And he was very good at it. He was big and he could beat anybody up. But, but in the end, and I think that's true of a lot of people where we take a look and they have come under some form of hardship. And I've dealt with enough in my life of people like that. 
they just kind of want somebody to look at them as an equal, not with pity in their eyes. Mm. Nobody wants to be pitied. They want to be helped, respected. They don't want to be pitied. And they want to be accepted. Right. Whatever the difference it is in, in, in class or education right. or money or background or whatever you, you you spot on and right now we're having the food to social media frenzies all kinds of different um social norms and cultural norms that are making tremendous shift but from all of those trips howard if you don't mind sharing what are some of the golden nuggets and lessons that really made a, such a huge impact and distinction for you not only to grow your company over 100 million a year but also to truly continue to be such a good role model, not only in your local, but obviously national and international community? Well, off the top of my head, obviously. I mean, I think one is don't ever be naive enough to, to, to say that, to make the comment, I don't see color or I don't see gender. Of course you do. Say, I recognize it and I'm gonna really work hard at determining how I can value and use that value to their benefit and my benefit. First point. Second point is if you help somebody else first, rather than how they can help you first, if you help somebody first, they will pay it back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And you'll have their undying loyalty. Yeah. Something you can't, you have to earn it, you can't buy it. I would say the third thing is always try, and if it knows I'm guilty, we can slip. Always try no matter what happens, no matter how lack of education, for example, as one criteria of a person has, always respect them for being the best at what they're capable of being. I mean, if we're intelligent, it's a gift. It's genetics. It's everything else. We got lucky. Our job is not to criticize and demean those that didn't. How do I build them up and help them be the best they can be? And I think the other is, my last point would be, just thinking off the top of my head would be, always be committed to getting better because that will cause you to never get to the point others avoid you. Um, that is beautiful. So that that way you're not feeling you don't belong somewhere or you're not accepted because you're lacking um, either is that social skill or Right. business skill or and those essential elements and norms such a powerful powerful share i'll give you an example of that please think of how often in a, in a normal scenario and it could be your could be kids where somebody comes and goes i did this and i screwed up here's what i did what's your next response Mine is, from hopefully learning over time, why do you think it didn't work? What would you have done differently next time? So you don't think you, you did the same thing twice? I'm not talking about it again. It's forgotten. Or what we don't, well, why did you do such a stupid thing? Right? I don't need to be beat up for something I'm beating myself. If you beat up somebody that's already beat up themselves, what I've learned is you let them off the hook. Yeah. They now go, okay, I got in trouble. I don't want to, you know what? I want them to feel their own guilt and resentment for doing something either they shouldn't have done or they could have done better. 
they're, they'll punish themselves more than I could ever punish them. Because, and that's also part of learning. I don't want to, I don't want them to stop errors. I've, I've never judged somebody that's worked with me based on the errors they make. I've based them on the judgment they used in making the error. So if I have somebody that makes a half a million dollar, bad decision, but they used really good judgment, that's fine. Because you know what? Next time they may fourfold the success of it. And I won't know that. But if I, if I stop them, they'll take the old traditional safe way of doing it. What a great perspective and tons of wisdom here for Thank sure. You. Thank Absolutely. you. Um, with that in mind, obviously you've been mentoring, coaching and supporting others and uh, being advising others to be successful right. and their ventures and everything that they're trying to do. And ultimately always with greater con uh, contribution to the world and greater impact, of course, right? For the positive yeah. change, not for the negative stuff. So right. what is there in the bucket list that you are still yet to do? Because it seems like you've done so much. I don't know. If I have one flaw, it's never been great planning. It sort of comes to me, right? Um, I, I mean, I think this phase of my life is about paying back for all the gifts I've been given, right? So I think it's about paying back. It's about, I believe passionately in trying to reduce the, the inequalities. And, that, and in some ways that's a big word, right? But I'm just saying, I, I, be, I believe totally in, in uh, women in leadership. I think they, they are phenomenal leaders. I mean, they lead homes, they lead a whole lot of things they lead. So how, how do we get them how do we get them in situations where we don't want them to change? We want to learn from them and hopefully they want to learn from us. Because that's what we need, right? Right now, that's what we need. We need, what can someone help me with rather than what they're doing wrong and I don't agree with? Mm, wow, such a huge and important distinction. And now the question you, nobody can escape from. Uh oh <laughs> with, uh oh <laughs> everything you did so far obviously in your professional career and personal life what would you like your legacy to be known for obviously you live in your legacy you're leading with your legacy and ultimately you want to leave something i'm sure for not only your family your grandchildren but i'm curious what that is that you are still yet making it um I would say, I mean, it's a very good question. I would say that I helped people lead a more successful life than they thought they were capable of. Because if I truly can see gifts in them and I can help grow those, they will be better than what they thought they could be and that will make them pretty darn good and it's a multiplier, right? Now it's now it's it's a feed forward concept. Now yes. they will go and help others. Somebody that somebody that's helped generally, by the way, goes and you probably know this, goes and helps other people. So yeah. rather than so that's what in some ways is always important about inside organizations for like mentorship things. It's, if I've been helped and someone's really helped me grow, I'm a really good person to work with somebody else because I understand the obligation. And it is an obligation. Mm. That is so powerful. Thank you Excellent. for sharing that. 
And if you don't mind sharing in the closing here, as we, we're looking, obviously, legacy, and we're on the Legacy Leader Show, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, your legacy is tremendous, obviously, and reputation in circles. And, and I'm, I'm just blown away with your words of wisdom every time I have a chance and encounter to talk to you. Thank so, you. So such a great honor and pleasure to have you here with the audience. And I know that they get so much. But for anyone that is truly struggling, and a lot of people are more than they really realize in some ways and shape and form, what would you suggest uh, for them to really declutter their mind and and then really if they could just do a few actionable steps how would they be able to replicate some of your tremendous success not only once but consistently since 13 years old since you became so early millionaire since you became so important in 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 in, in community but also how much you helped and serve others obviously that's the result ultimately well, I can, it may be, it may be too small number of words. So you'll have to ask me to expound if it. I think it's to remember that never let other people defeat you. Only allow yourself to be defeated by yourself. In other words, your actions may have consequences and you may have to re sort of redirect yourself. Never let somebody else do it. Mm. That's if you at your core are the ones that takes the chances and recognize the risks and, and tries to do the right thing. Don't let other people look at you and judge that and you cause you, it causes you to change the way you do it. If, it. if it, on reflection, you say, I probably didn't, then perfect. Don't beat yourself up, change it, move forward. Because we, we are horrible at critiquing every, we critique each other people far more regularly than we do live our own model. That is so true. People tend to jump on on their own issues, obviously. I'm sorry, they tend to jump on other people's issues versus that they do self-assessment, right. self-understanding, and where they're falling short. And sometimes a good thing to ask somebody is when they start critiquing somebody, I've been known to turn to the person next to me and go, so what is it you're doing to to provide a little bit more of a positive role model in that subject. They cringe and leave the room. I mean, <laughs> because, because it's, it, because we've part of our defense mechanism sometimes, and I understand why it's there is when we see someone in order to differentiate ourselves, what we do is we go on the attack, right? An attack comes in a whole lot of different ways. Back to social issues again. What we do is we attack rather than let me kind of embrace and understand it before I react to it. Mm. How can I, how can I react to something I don't understand? Mm. Right. How can I, how can I provide wisdom to a woman if I don't really understand what's in her head? I mean, I, I can't, but if I listen, you know what? People will tell you a whole lot of stuff. If you listen. Yes. I see, unfortunately, way too much people playing victims and way too much doing the blame. Right. And that doesn't solve anything. It affects the trust, team dynamics, and truly, frankly, desire to work with each other. Also, for force some people or decision making where you really have to make a 
sometimes hard and tough decisions. And it's just fortunate because they sometimes, this is what I'm seeing. We have the minuscule small percentage that overshadows all the great chances and opportunities and tolerance and space and help and support that they were given. And that is really also very short-sighted and shows level of lack of maturity, honestly, right? So, so for the ones that are still struggling with their maturity of who they are, how they yeah. show up, what would you suggest for them to get on that trajectory so that it can be taken very seriously and then also being used and utilized in an effective way? Let me answer it with kind of a, because probably about my practice, kind of my practice here, I would say about two thirds of my clients are women, senior executives. And bad things happen, right? That's welcome. And what I always say, it's always, it, it comes up when around promotion discussions. Yes. And I always say the quickest way to succeed is to be so good at what you're doing, there's no alternative but to pick you or no alternative, mm -hmm. right? And I don't think it's a gender issue, but women will apologize more for it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't get the job, that, 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 that. No, don't apologize. Just dig in, you know, push, make great decisions, which I have every confidence they can make. Make great decisions. And now it, you, there's two things that happen. One is they can't not hire you, right? Because you've done such a good job. Or the second one is you're working at the wrong company. Yes. Only two choices. Mm. Don't waste your time at a company that's not going to see your value. Mm. There's, in today's world, there's plenty that do. It's getting better, not perfect, but it's getting better. Um, that is so, so important. And thank you so much for, for bringing that up because again, all of those pain points that others are struggling, somebody going, been there and done that. And someone with tenure of coaching and mentoring and advising and strategizing like yourself, been there done that and you've seen that million times right because behaviors people they're predictable and we can see patterns it's just the questions to different scenarios or different uh players but it's usually very very easy to really see and with that in mind all of you that have been watching and listening this legacy leader show and episode for someone who is obviously bringing so much great value where can people find you and learn more about your work Oh, it's all over the place. Um, they can, thank you for asking. They can go to either Howard at howardjmorgan.com. So Howard at howardjmorgan.com or howard.morgan at lri.com. Either one. Um, uh, or they can send questions into you and we'll do it another time. We'll answer questions. That's whatever, whatever works. That's fantastic. Thank you, Howard, for being with us and sharing all those amazing words of wisdom and great lessons and opportunities for every single one of us to shine. We're looking forward to having you back and, and cannot wait to see what future holds and future discussions. Yeah, and just remember, try something different tomorrow and eventually it's going to work great. Yay. Take a risk, guys. That's right. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. I appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.